بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, this is the second lesson uh, on the subject of the world of magic and jinn or jinn and magic and what i like to do is for the people who weren't here uh, for the last lesson i want to just do a, a review or a, or a summary of the main points that we covered in uh, the, the, the lesson last week and uh, so this will maybe take maybe 10, 10 minutes of, of this session inshallah and so what we mentioned uh, last week in in the first part is we began by giving some uh, background and some context we said that when you try to understand the topic of magic it's not something that you really appreciate up until you look at some background information some background uh, points so from those points that we mentioned is the story that Allah mentions in the Quran about uh, Iblis and Adam alayhi uh, salam and uh, how Iblis was created before Adam and when Allah decided to create Adam when he willed to create Adam he ordered Iblis to prostrate along with the angels and all of the angels prostrated but Iblis refused and he refused out of arrogance out of arrogance and pride and so when he disobeyed and he knew that Allah had uh, cursed him and that he was doomed, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a, a respite for a, for, for a period of time. And so Allah gave him that respite for a period of time. And then he swore, he uh, said uh, that he, he promised that he would misguide the whole of mankind. And so anyway, after this period, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he put Adam and his wife in the garden and he ordered them not to take from the tree and again as a, as, as, as a trial and as, as a test of their obedience. And then so Shaitan Iblis came along and eventually he managed to, managed to deceive them. And eventually they ate from the tree, they disobeyed Allah. And so as a result of this whole uh, thing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he ordered both of them, the jinn and Adam and his wife, to descend uh, and to, to get down from, from the paradise. In this regard, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about the fact that there is enmity, enmity between Adam and his offspring, or some from amongst them, and between the jinn and his offspring. And so in that regard, we mention some of the verses in the Quran when Allah says, Allah says, get all of you down from here, some of you will be enemies to others. And in another verse in Surah Fatir, in Surah 35, Allah mentions, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمْ Indeed, shaitan is to you an enemy, so take him as an enemy. So basically we have a situation where Iblis is characterized by arrogance and stubbornness, and Adam alayhi salam, being from the ins, from, from mankind, that he is characterized with forgetfulness. And the word ins, insan, itself comes from the root nasiyah, to forget. It's from the nature of man to forget. So he forgot, and he disobeyed his lord, and so this is from the characteristic of, of mankind as a, as, a, as a whole. And so each of them have their offspring. Iblis has his offspring and Adam has his offspring. 
And so the jinn have, uh, are made from a certain uh, material, and mankind is made of a certain material. The jinn have certain qualities, mankind have certain qualities. The jinn have a certain type of livelihood, living food, a type of uh, a subsistence, a type of residence, and so on and so forth. And all of that is something which is, which is unknown to us. And likewise, the ma- ma- mankind has their own uh, particular characteristics. So normally, in a normal situation, these two species of beings have really no interaction. Right? The jinn get on with what they do, and mankind do with what, what, what they do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as he mentioned in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I do not create men and jinn, except that they may worship me. So he sent prophets and messengers to both the jinn and the men. Uh, to invite them to worship Allah alone, to direct all of worship, everything which comes under worship, and to direct it only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the jinn are obligated to obey the prophets and messengers, and so they have to worship Allah, they have to be Muslims, and they have to worship Allah upon Tawheed, and they have to be pious and faithful, and they have to abide by the Sharia, whatever Sharia is applicable to them. And likewise the men, they have to abide by that as well. And so in return for that, they will acquire a paradise. So now, when we come to understand magic, or when we come to look at the issue of magic, then magic is something that occurs by the interaction of these two species, between the men and between the jinn. And so the men, they have, they, 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 for, for many reasons that we discussed in the previous lesson, and we will mention again in this lesson, that they... Uh, have certain needs and benefits which they see that they can acquire from the jinn. And the jinn likewise, they see certain benefits and things that they acquire, that they can see and they acquire from the men. Bearing in mind that the jinn or the shayateen are from the offspring of Iblis and from their goals is to misguide mankind. Right? So they give assistance to mankind. Right? But in return, they ask for some sort of subservience and some sort of worship and some sort of obedience. Such obedience and uh, worship that itself entails disobedience to Allah and it also enters into, into the realm of kufr, of disbelief, and likewise shirk, which is polytheism and worshipping other things besides Allah. So anyway, this magic that we mentioned, it has been present at least from the time of Nuh salam. And we mentioned the proof for that in the Qur'an. And there were many prophets before the Prophet Ibrahim Islam and before the Prophet Suleiman who were accused of having magic being done upon them. You know, meaning when the people rejected the message, they said that you are just mad and you are possessed and you are this and you are that. And so this shows that magic was present uh, in that time. And so after this we mentioned how uh, we mentioned a bit about Prophet Suleiman salam because this was important to the subject of magic in general. We said that Prophet Suleiman salam has been wrongly accused uh, of being a magician, and the reason for that was was because of the following: that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He gave to Suleiman a certain kingdom and a certain level of control over, for example, the jinn and over some of the elements like the wind and over. Uh, like the birds, and such a dominion which he never gave to anybody else after Suleiman, because Allah said in the Quran, mentioning the dua, the supplication of Suleiman salam, he said, "Qala Rabbi firli, O my Lord, forgive me, wahabli mulkan la yambagi li ahadim min baadi." So he said, "O my Lord, forgive me and bestow upon me a kingdom that is not desirable for anybody after me." 
And we see that the messenger, peace be upon him, also in one of his hadith, he mentioned uh, words to the meaning that after Suleiman, there is no one who has, who has control over the jinn, not even the Prophet, peace be upon him. And so this was something unique to Suleiman. And so there were in the Quran, we find, uh, Allah mentions that in, in the Quran, that, that, that there were some from these Shia, from these jinn, who were forced into obedience to Suleiman alayhi salam. Right? Unwillingly, that they were, they were forced to work for Suleiman. And others from the jinn, they were held captive in chains. In chains. And they were, they were, they, you know, they, they, they had to work for Suleiman in that regard. And so what happened is after Suleiman al-Islam, he passed away, he died. These devils, what they did is that they began to they write books. And they began to write magic. And they began to write things. And then they put them under the throne of Suleiman al-Islam. And so what happened is and they began to teach this to the people. Right, this, this magic. And so what happened is when Suleiman died al-Islam, the Jews, they broke up into two groups of people. The first group were those who because they were upon Tawheed, they were upon pure monotheism, and they were upon, they were following the, the, the Prophet's teachings, they recognized that this, what, what is being claimed from these books, and what is being written by the devils, and what is spreading amongst the people, that this entails kufr and shirk. And so they recognized that, and they kept away from it, and they warned against it. And another group from the Jews, they believed wrongly that this, when they found these books, they believed that this was how Suleiman was controlling the jinn. Right? That this, the, the use of this magic and the use of this, you know, these things, this is how Suleiman was controlling the jinn, and it is permissible for us to do the same. And so therefore they fell into this, this, this magic. And remember Suleiman, salam, he was present roughly about a thousand BC, uh, 10 centuries before Isa, uh, roughly around that time. And we also mentioned as well that so the Jews inherited this uh, magic from the devils. And that's why Allah said in the Quran, uh, uh, That they, meaning they, the Jews in the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, they followed what the devils rehearsed in the time of Suleiman. So meaning that magic which the Jews were practicing in the time of Prophet Muhammad Sallam, and which they did upon the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, they inherited that from the devils in the time of the Prophet Suleiman. And likewise Allah goes on to mention in the same verse about the two angels, Harut and Marut, in the place called Babel, which is Babylon. We mentioned also that this was another influence where magic came from. And we also mentioned how the Jews, they were held in captivity for a period of time in Babylon, around the year 600 BC, and as a result of that, they, uh, because in Babylon, there were, the, there were the, uh, the, the people there were basically astronomers, and they were star worshippers, and so they also had their form of magic, and numerology, and astrology, and all, they had all these symbols, and representations of, uh, you know, in numbers, and by way of that, they used to worship the stars, and believe that the stars used to have spirits within them, and so they used to have their type of magic, and this magic, the Jews, the rabbis, they acquired that magic when they were in Babylon. And then when they came, and they came back to Jerusalem, and they began to write the Talmud. The Talmud is not the same as the Torah. The Torah is what Musa al-Islam brought. And the Talmud is something which the rabbis wrote, uh, wrote with their own hands. And they brought within it all of their own opinions, and a lot of the superstition and astrology and numerology and so on and so forth. And so this magic was something that, that they were upon. And so, uh, anyway... You, and, and so we, we mentioned in, in the previous lesson as well how you see when you look at many of these 
spells and talismans and things that are written by so-called Muslims, you find parallels between them and between what you find amongst the Jews among the, uh, who follow the Talmud and the spells that they write and the incantations and the symbols and so on and so forth, that all of this is, you know, the, 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 the root of it and the source of it is very, very clear and very apparent. So anyway, we, so from this, we understand that magic is an interaction between the jinn and between the men. And practically speaking, we mentioned how it works. And so what happens is that we have two elements to magic. The first is what we call the base and the foundation. This usually takes the form of a, uh, an artifact, which is like a spell. Or uh, it, it can be, it can take many different forms. In fact, we will mention them in a short while. It can take maybe nine different forms. But basically, this, this thing is prepared, which we call the base and foundation. It will be something written. It may be something which has nuts in it. It can be something that is prepared in food, something which is buried, something which is put in water. And it can, you know, take on different forms. But that's the starting point. And so what then happens is that the magician, and a magician is someone who has won the assistance of the devils because he has done something. He has done something. He has to commit something and do something by which the devils are prepared to work for him and to execute the magic for him. So basically he takes this thing. This thing is someone takes it. They plant it somewhere. And uh, the jinn then goes, uh, the, the, the magician then goes and he calls upon the jinn and he announces uh, the, 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 like a contract. So he says, oh so-and-so, he mentions the names of the jinn and he says that entrusted upon you is this talisman. And the talisman is that part of the spell in which there are numbers and symbols and things of that nature, you know, by which the, the, the jinn are invoked. So he, so he says, I entrust you with this talisman that you implement this magic upon so-and-so the son of so-and-so or so-and-so the daughter of so-and-so and that you do such and such whatever so then this uh, what happens is that in the jinn side of things <clears throat> as we said that amongst the jinn just like amongst the men there are the common people then there are the, the, the powerful people then there are the kings amongst them then, and so on and so forth and likewise amongst the jinn you have the same thing and so when the magic is done the people who the magicians they are basically invoking and uh, honoring and calling upon the really the, the, the high-level jinns. And so once the high-level jinns see that they have some sort of obedience from the men, and to them it's like a, a, they see it as a kind of honorable thing uh, amongst themselves, they see that they, have, that they are worshipped by the men, that they are obeyed by the men, that they are held in esteem by the men. Uh, this is how they see amongst the jinn. So the high-level jinn then sends a low-level jinn he says, right, you go and so the low level jinn is sent and then whatever type of magic it is, then that low level jinn is entrusted to fulfill that particular, that particular type of magic. So then this jinn comes along and so depending on what type of magic it is, there are eight, nine types of magic, that jinn will then remain with that person or will enter that person and then, you know, depending on what type of magic it is, it will remain there and produce that effect as long as that, that spell or that, that, that magic remains, you know, remains. And so this is how practically it's working. And we see that this is a type of, as we said, it's a contract and uh, an interaction between jinn and men upon that which is haram, upon that which is batil, upon that which involves disbelief and shirk, upon that which involves oppression against the people and oppression against them, their wealth, their, 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 their health, and so on and so forth. And so this, and this is why the ruling upon magic in the Qur'an, we mentioned that last week as well, that the ruling upon magic is that it is kufr, it is disbelief. Uh, anyone who is known to be a magician, 
And we, and we mean by magician, not the one who, as we said, does tricks with the eyes and so on and so forth, you know, makes things disappear and, you know, we talk like, which, which are tricks, you know, which are played. We mean the one who uses the, the, the assistance of the jinn. This person is a disbeliever. And that's why when the companions of Allah's Messenger, that whenever they used to conquer a land or go into a land, and it was known to them that there are magicians, then they would, they would execute them. They would, be, they would be executed. And that's the ruling upon a magician in Islam. That he is executed, he doesn't even have repentance. We, you don't, we don't even let you repent if you are established to be a magician. Uh, because of the evil and the corruption that these people you know, bring upon, upon, upon mankind. So anyway, after that we then mentioned the types of magic. And so from them, we mentioned there were nine types of magic. Uh, we mentioned them in some detail. I'll just quickly mention them very quickly again. We mentioned that the first type is the sihr of tafriq, which is the sihr of separation between two people. Mainly it's a man and, a, a man and his wife, but it can be between you know, a man and his son, a man and his brother, a man and his mother. It can be between anybody, even between a man and his neighbor, a man and his business partner. It can be between anybody. So basically a, a jinn comes... And so he is entrusted with creating hardship and difficulty between the two people, misunderstandings and so on and so forth, up until they, you know, they, they, they split. And there are certain effects that come along with that, certain signs, certain manifestations. That's the first type. Second type is what we call the sihr of al-mahabba, of love. Another word for it is at-tiwala. And this is when uh, the, the, the magic is to bring two people together, mainly for the purpose of marriage. Right to bring about love between them and to make them obsessed with each other and to make them infatuated with each other and so on and so forth. That's the second type. Third type is the sihr of sihr of takhil, which is the imagination where you start imagining things that you saw something that you didn't see that you, that is not there or that you heard something that is actually not there. So you start seeing things and imagining things and perceiving things which are just all in your faculties and in your mind. They don't have any external uh, reality. The fourth type of magic is the sihr of al-junoon, which is basically just madness, and where you lose control over your speech, and you stumble, and, and you know, basically you, uh, you don't really have control over your senses, and even over your body. And in all these different types of magic, the jinn is playing, but he, en- he either enters into your body, and then plays about with that part of the brain, which is responsible for control over certain you know, faculties, like maybe thinking, or maybe having uh, the zeal and motivation, uh, or maybe over happiness and joy and sadness and whatever. And so it plays about with those kind of uh, uh, aspects. Uh, as a result, certain effects are found upon a person. This is the, the, the fourth. The fifth one is the sihr of al-khumul, which means lethargy, where a person can't be bothered doing anything, just wants to laze around, sit around, he's got no motivation, no dedication, no you know, intent, no zeal, and nothing. He just finds that he, he just got, you know, he can't do anything. He doesn't want to work, can't be bothered to work, doesn't want to speak to anybody, just wants to be by himself. And again, this is a type of magic. The next one is Sihr al-Hawatif, which is the, the magic which is a person just getting voices and imaginations in the mind and whisperings. And so these things start coming into his mind. Uh, thoughts and ideas and whispers and he starts getting confused and this and whatever and that's another type the seventh one is the uh, magic of al-marad or disease and this is when uh, so for example someone has a pain or, or a numbness in an arm or in a leg or, or a pain somewhere or in the head and it doesn't, it doesn't go no matter what a person does no matter what treatment a person receives the pain always remains so basically 
the, the way to tell between whether this is a genuine illness, like a genuine pain, physical pain in the arm, or whether it is a result of magic, is that normally that we read ruqya upon a person, we read the Qur'an, and then certain effects are seen, as a result of which it is known that this is magic and not a genuine illness. Right? So illness sometimes, it might appear to be illness, but it is actually the effect of, of magic. That's the uh, seventh type. The eighth type is unique to women. We said it is uh, al-istihada, which is when a woman has a constant bleeding, and she thinks it to be menstrual blood, but it's not menstrual blood. Rather, it is a vein, and that particular vein, and it bleeding constantly, is actually as a result of a, of a jinn, which, 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 which is a result of magic. Right? So he, you know, he enters into the body, he enters into that particular location, and so that, that vein continues to bleed, and it doesn't end sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months. And so many women have this particular problem, and it is a sign that this is from, from the jinn and from the effects of, of magic. And the last one, sihr ta'til izwaj, which is where magic is done in order to prevent two people from getting married. Right? And so all of these types of magic, you see that they emanate from people who maybe have a jealousy or a hatred or a dislike for somebody else. And so they seek to harm them. And so they go to a magician and you know, they pay the magician a miserable price. And for that miserable price, the magician is someone who you know, works with the devils to bring about this type of harm and oppression upon, upon the people. And so these were the types of magic, as we said. We also spoke about what does a magician have to do in order to win the assistance of the devils. We mentioned many things. Uh, we mentioned, in fact, that the jinns never ever aid anybody from the men unless they see some kind of obedience from, from the men. And the jinn are not pleased except in misguiding mankind and to make them disobey Allah and to worship other things besides Allah and to give servitude to other things besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so we mentioned many things, the jinn, the, 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 some of the magicians which we find amongst them. They, for example, and, and it varies from extremes, you know, there are, there are ex, from one extreme to, to, to the other side. So from the extreme side of it, we see that some of these magicians, they have to disbelieve in Allah, they have to disrespect the Qur'an, they have to revile the prophets and messengers, they sometimes throw the Qur'an in the toilet, Sometimes they walk on the Qur'an, sometimes they, they, they do all these filthy vile things. And that's like one extreme. And the, there are magicians who actually do that. And as I said, that we shouldn't be deceived by people who appear to be religious and appear to be practicing and appear to be all pious and so on and so forth. Because this is found amongst the, amongst the people. In fact, I showed you uh, some pictures last, uh, you know, in, in, in the last lesson. Uh, this particular picture here where you see the Qur'an. And on it you see menstrual blood. This top one here is men men blood from menstruation, from a woman's period. And it's, you know, it's besmirched on the Qur'an. And the ones below it you see that this is uh, the Qur'an rolled into a tampon. And a woman inserts it. And so that it, menstrual blood comes onto the Qur'an. Right? And I showed you some of these pictures from, 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 you know, from, from the last lesson. And so the point being that there are people who appear to be religious. And they are prepared to do these kind of things in order to win the assistance of the jinn and the devils, and in order to effect the magic that they, that, that, that they seek. So anyway, that's from one extreme. And, but maybe some of the magicians don't go to that level, because they, they, you know, they, they, they maybe, maybe know that this is outright uh, rebellion against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So other magicians, the way the jinns trick them, is that they make them do certain actions. 
which involve worship of other things besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they might say to the, to, to the magician that, okay, you know, we'll help you. Just go and uh, take a few lambs or some chickens, go to a certain place when, you know, at a certain time, just sacrifice them. And once you've sacrificed them, then go to a certain other place, some deserted building or some other place, and just leave them there or sprinkle the blood, you know, uh, somewhere and just leave them there. And once you do that, then, you know, we will, we will, we will help you in whatever it is. So now what's happened is that they've made the magician fall into an act of shirk. Because to sacrifice to other than Allah, to sacrifice to a jinn or for a jinn, is an act of worship which expels a person from the fall of Islam. It invalidates a person's tawheed, monotheism. And so, so, so some magicians who are involved with the jinn, may, they won't go to the level of where they will disrespect the Quran and you know, uh, uh, abuse and revile the prophets and messengers because they know that this is, is something that they will fall into. But the jinn will make them fall into other things. So the point being that the magicians who work with the devils, then the devils make them do a range of things if they can, from the most uh, evil and rebellious and uh, you know, uh, despicable of things. If not, then they move backward, something less, something less, something less, something less, something less. Right? So no matter what, which magician it is, he is doing at least something. Or he is doing at least something in order to win the assistance of the devils without any doubt at all. And uh, then we uh, mentioned some of the signs of a magician. What you know? How can you tell someone is a magician? We mentioned many things in that regard. You know, magicians they will give you. Uh, um, uh, they, they will if you go to them, they will tell you your name, your mother's name, where you came from, why. You know, somehow, some, somehow they have this information from nowhere. They will often ask you for a piece of clothing that you've been wearing. They will give you uh, papers with numbers upon them and symbols and squares and things like this, which are a representation of uh, magic and the use of the devils. Um, they will give you things like uh, the skins of animals and things they've written in triangles. And you know, we mentioned all of them in, in the last lesson as well, how you can tell that someone is involved in, in magic, even if at the same time he appears to be using the Qur'an. And appears to be using the, the, the sunnah of the messenger salam. So there are certain signs you can tell that this is from a magician. And in this regard, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a verse in the Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions this mutual benefit between the jinn and the men. Allah says in the Quran, this is in Surah uh, Al-An'am, Surah 6 verse 128, Allah says, uh, The day that Allah gathers them all together, meaning the jinn and men. Allah will gather them all together, meaning the day of resurrection. So on that day, Allah will say, Ya ma'ashir al-jinn, qadistakhtartum min al-ins. Allah will say, O oh, gathering of the jinn, you have indeed sought benefit from the men. And then the jinn will say, Allah says, وَقَالَ أَوْلِيَاءُهُمْ مِنَ الْإِنس. Then their awliya, meaning their allies from the men, meaning the allies of the jinn from the men who used to be allies to, to, to the jinn, that they will say, now the men will say, that رَبَّنَا اسْتَمْتَعَ بَعْدُنَا بِبَعْد That, O oh, our Lord, some of us, we sought benefit, we sought mutual benefit and pleasure, some of us, from others, meaning between the jinn and men. And then they will say, وَبَلَغْنَا أَجَلَنَا الَّذِي أَجَلْتَ لَنَا and we have now reached the appointed time which you appointed for us, meaning death and resurrection, and now having to answer for, for their deeds. So now we've, appoint, well now we've reached that appointed time. Then Allah will say to them, uh, 
that the fire is your abode to both of you, to the jinn and the men uh, amongst you. Khalidina fiha illa Allah. That you will abide therein except as Allah wills. So upon this verse, the scholars have mentioned that this verse is an indication that from the jinn and from the men were, the, were those who sought mutual benefit in each other uh, in the manner uh, described. And so their eventual destination will be that their abode is in the hellfire. And so just to conclude, uh, I, think we meant, I think we mentioned last lesson as well that there are maybe eight or nine different ways that the magic is done. Uh, one of the first of them is that it is put into food. Right, it is put into food. Second of them is that it is put into drink in water. The third of them is that it is put into something which is smelt in a scent, or the bukhur, the smoke, which is you know when you burn something and the smoke from it. Uh, the fourth of them is that knots are tied. You see cotton being used or wool being used and knots are tied and sometimes a person's hair is used and it's tied into it. Uh, the fifth of, fifth of them is that there are some... Uh, pieces or remnants from a person's clothing or from the hair or from whatever or sometimes even they find a photo and they cut out just the face region just that and they place that within uh, the spell so this is another way that it is affected uh, the sixth way is that sometimes they take something and they crush it it is crushed and a spell is put on it and then they sprinkle it in the house or whatever uh, the seventh one is that with with respect to something that flows like water or blood or whatever else, then they make a concoction out of it and then they sprinkle it on the walls or upon someone's clothes. Or it could be like a dye or something and they put it on the clothes and, uh, uh, or they put it in you know, uh, certain places. That's the seventh one. And the eighth one is that they you write talismans and talismans are basically you know, the, the talasim, which are the, the numbers and the, the symbols and the squares and so on and so forth. And all of this involves numerology and astrology and the worship of the stars and the worship of the spirits and that's where it originates from. And so some of it is affected in that manner. And I showed you last week pictures of where, where these magicians, they disguise talismans and make them appear to be Islamic. So you'll find many Quranic verses written and there'll be the names of the companions, the names of Allah, names of the Messenger, and then in, in the midst of all that, you will see like numbers and letters written backwards in Arabic, and names that you can't recognize, and squares like the magic square, the, you know, the three by three magic square, which represents Saturn, or the four by four magic square, which represents Jupiter, I'm meaning this is like, like a star worship, and they will have five pointed stars, and all these different symbols, and I showed you examples of that last week, uh, in, the, in, in, in the lesson. And so what they do is they try to disguise this, this use of magic, but try to disguise it in the form of, of something that appears to be Islamic and the use of the Quran. And the uh, ninth one is that they, the ninth way that they do it is basically what they do is they watch out for the moon and the stars, that there's a specific time that they have to make a certain incantation or you know, do whatever it is. And so they watch for the rising of certain stars, of certain constellations or the moon, and then that's the right time in which the, the, the magic is, is affected. So anyway, this was just a, a recap as a reminder of what we did in the last lesson. It's important to, to keep that in mind. And today what we're going to do, inshallah, is again we have a lot of material, so maybe you know, we're going to try to get as much of this as finished as possible. And so what we need to do is... Uh, Basically, there are, there are four different things that we have to distinguish between. Right? A lot of people, they, they sometimes mix and confuse between a number of different things. These four things are the following. Magic, a sihr which is what we've been discussing. 
and we dis- discussed that in the, in the last lesson. We'll continue discussing it today, inshallah ta'ala. That's the first thing. The second thing is asara. Asara. Asara, it involves the jinn, but it is not the same as magic. Asara is basically possession. Right? Because when a jinn possesses a person, it can be, it can happen in different, for, for different reasons and for different, from different methods. First method can be through the root of magic, sihr. The other method can be through just purely, as we will look, uh, when we look at uh, asar in detail, it can be from the angle of just oppression, like a jinn just willfully wanting to oppress a person, without any, any magic or anything like that at all. So asara, asara is something different to asihr, which is magic. And inshallah, we will look at that in a, in a short while. And the third thing is al-hasad. Al-hasad is jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. That's the third thing. And the fourth thing is al-ayn. Al-ayn is the evil eye. And the evil eye is connected to al-hasad, jealousy. Right? They overlap with each other. Right? So al-hasad and al-ayn do not, are not, not the same as magic. But because they are all connected, because all of these topics are really interconnected, and you see that you know, often jealousy amongst the people, right? Jealousy amongst the people is what leads people to either give you the evil eye or to want to do magic upon you. Right? They're all connected issues. For that reason, I think it's important that we discuss each of these issues, understand the differences between them, and try to learn how to avoid falling into you know, the, the uh, asara and uh, the evil eye and so on and so forth. So the first thing we are going to look at is, or the first thing that we're going to look at is the issue of the evil eye. And so the evil eye, first of all, or we're, sorry, we'll look at not evil eye, we'll look at jealousy. Jealousy first and foremost. So jealousy, firstly, what is jealousy? There's a type of jealousy which is hala, which is permissible, Yajus, it is permissible, it is recommended. And there is a type of jealousy which is haram. Uh, so we are speaking here of the jealousy which is haram. And the other types we will look at in a short while, inshallah ta'ala. So this jealousy, what is the definition of jealousy? Jealousy is defined as that you wish that a favor or a blessing which somebody else has been given. Uh, someone else has been given a favor or a blessing. It could be money, it could be wealth, it could be knowledge. Could be understanding, could be iman, could be taqwa, could be you know, offspring, could be beauty, could be whatever. That someone has a favor or a blessing that they have, and you wish, you wish for that favor to end, to finish. But that person no longer has it anymore. You want it to end in him, you want him to lose it. And so this is the definition of jealousy. Now... Uh, what happens is that the foundation of it is of, of, of jealousy is that the eye of a person, he sees something which amazes him, right? So he sees someone, maybe he has uh, beauty or handsomeness or uh, richness or wealth or, you know, uh, he has the religion, he's pious, he's righteous or whatever, all the, whatever the things it might be that a person might be jealous of. And so he sees it with his eye and then there is some filth in his heart and that filth in his heart is you know things like the diseases of jealousy and and uh, covetousness and all those kind of things, and then these two these two combine, and then he, when he looks at the individual, that look is something that is brings about harm by Allah's permission, by Allah's decree. If Allah decrees, then it will bring about harm in the one who is you know who who is envied. 
And this is the definition of uh, al-hasad, uh, jealousy. And we see in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions al-hasad in a number of places. Uh, and this hasad can come from a number of different roots and angles. From them is the first, what, first one, Allah mentions about the kuffar, about the non-Muslims. Allah says, وَإِن يَكَادُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَيُزْلِقُونَكَ بِأَبْسَارِهِمْ لَمَّا سَمِعُوا الذِّكْرَ وَيَقُولُونَ إِنَّهُ لَمَجْنُونَ إِنَّهُ لَمَجْنُونَ So Allah says that those who disbelieve, it is that they wish to smite you with their eyes. They want to smite you with their eyes. Because when they hear the remembrance, when they hear the Qur'an, the remembrance, they say, indeed, he is possessed. What this is referring to is that those kuffar in the time of the Prophet Muhammad they were jealous of him, they were jealous of him, and they were jealous of the revelation. And when they would look, they would look with jealousy upon the Prophet, peace be upon him, and upon the believers. And so this jealousy is something from which the eyes, that the evil eye can, you know, can, can come from. Another proof is in the Quran again regarding the people of the book. The Jews and the Christians, Allah says, وَدَّ كَثِيرٌ مِّنْ أَحْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَوْ يَرُدُّونَكُمْ مِّنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِكُمْ كُفَّارًا حَسَدًا مِّنْ عِنْدِ أَنفُسِهِمْ That many of the people of the book, they wish that if they could turn you away from your deen, from your religion, from your faith, into disbelievers, out of envy from their own souls. So you see that the, the Jews and the Christians, that even they have an envy. They see that the, the, the Muslimin, the believers, that they have the Quran, they have the pure revelation, they are upon Tawheed, they are upon uh, Iman, and they have this clear, pure uh, Iman and monotheism that they don't have, and they have envious jealousy. Uh, and when they look, they look with envious jealousy as if they want to turn you away from that Iman into, in, into disbelief. So this is the second angle from which this jealousy comes, and it can be in the form of an evil eye, Upon a Muslim and upon a believer. The third one Allah mentions in general, Allah says, Am ala Allah min fadlihi. So Allah is mentioning about a group of people that are they envious and jealous of the people on account of what Allah has given them from His own bounty. Right? So in other words, it shows that people can be jealous of others on account of what Allah has given to others of the favors and the blessings which a person does not have. And the fourth one, in Surah Al-Falaq, Allah says, وَمِن شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدٍ That I seek refuge from the evil of the one who is envious and jealous when he envies. All of this is a proof to show Al-Hasad and its connection to the evil eye is, 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 is true and real. And likewise, in the Sunnah, the Messenger said, عَلَيْنُ تَدْخُلَ الرَّجُلَ الْقَبَرِ That the evil eye enters a man into the grave. Meaning the evil eye can actually kill a person. Just like it can make a person ill. It can also kill a person. And likewise, the Messenger said in a hadith, uh, which is reported by Bukhari uh, in his tarikh, أَكْثَرُ مَنْ يَمُوتْ مِنْ أُمَّةِ بَعْدَ قَدَاءِ اللَّهِ وَقَدْرِهِ بِالْعَيْنِ That the majority of those people who die in my ummah after Allah's qada wal qadr is by the evil eye. Uh, this shows to you that the effect of the evil eye is more than what people think. Uh, in this hadith, the messenger is saying that after Allah's qada wal qadr, most of those who die from this ummah, they die on account of the evil eye. On account of the evil eye. And there are other hadith which are similar to this. There are other hadith which are similar to this. And so this is a proof for al-hasad and the evil eye 
in, in, in the Qur'an. As for the types of al-hasad, the types of envy, now this is where we need to make a distinction. As we said, there are three types. There are three types of uh, envy. The first one is, so pay attention to the distinction between each of these three. The first one is that a person wishes that uh, some wealth or some knowledge or some honor or position or authority or some, anything that a favor that someone possesses or a bounty that someone has, he wants it to end. He wants it to finish. And he himself wants to have it for himself. Right, Junsan? There's two elements to it now. This is the first type. There are two elements. That you want this favor and this bounty and this blessing that somebody else has. You want it to end. Firstly, that you don't want him to have it. And secondly, you want to have it. Right? There are two elements. This is the first type of jealousy. The second type, and this type is, is haram. The second type of jealousy is that a person sees a favor or a bounty in somebody else and he wants it to end, but he himself does not really want it. Right? He just wants it to end in that other person. Right? He doesn't necessarily want it for himself. This one is more evil than the first one. This one is more evil than the first one. This is more evil. This is more lowly and more despicable than the first one. And this one is haram as well. Right? And the third one is that a person wants to have a bounty or a blessing that is with somebody else, but he doesn't want it to stop in that other person. Right? So he want, So if someone else has got maybe some uh, uh, knowledge or some wealth by which he's giving sadaqah and charity, then a person wants that for himself, but at the same time, he doesn't want that person not to have it. He, he still wants that person to have it. Right? So this type of jealousy is something that is permissible in the sharia. It is permissible for you to be jealous of somebody else, but as long as it is in the religious affairs. Right? This is a healthy type of jealousy. And in this regard, we see the hadith of the Messenger wasallam. He said that there is no jealousy except in the case of two men. I do not show jealousy except in the case of two men. A man to whom Allah has given wealth. So he never ceases to use that wealth in the path of the truth. And a man to whom Allah has given hikmah, wisdom. And so he never ceases to use and to judge by this truth, by this wisdom. Uh, and he teaches it to the people. Uh, these are the only two cases in which you are can show jealousy, the permitted form of jealousy. As for the other two, then they are, as we said, that they are, that they are, that they, that they are haram. And also, we should also understand that there is a type of evil eye that also comes from the jinn. The jinn can also give you an evil eye. It's something that we don't, sometimes we neglect. So the jinn, and the proof for this in the Qur'an, there's actually proof that the jinn can give you an evil eye as well. Not just only, doesn't just only come from another person, it comes from a jinn as well. And so Allah says in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 27, Allah says about Iblis, He says, إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ That indeed he, meaning Iblis, he sees you and his tribe, and his tribe, meaning the devils and the jinn with him. They see you min haythu la tarawnahum. They see you from where you do not see them. إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا الشَّيَاطِينَ أَوْلِيَاءَ لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ That indeed we have made the shayateen, the devils, to be allies and protectors and friends of those who do not have any, any faith. And also a proof for this as well is the hadith reported by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu. He said, 
that the Messenger ﷺ, before the last two chapters of the Qur'an, the Mu'awwadatayn, before they were revealed, before they were sent down, that the Messenger used to seek refuge in the, from the eye of the jinn, the evil eye of the jinn, the Aynul Jinn, and from the Aynul Ins, min A'yunil Ins. That he used to seek refuge from these two things. And then, when the last two chapters of the Qur'an were revealed, he left everything else, and he just used these two chapters to protect himself from everything. And he left everything else. This hadith is a proof, and this hadith is in Ibn Majah, it is Sahih. This hadith is a proof that the Messenger ﷺ used to seek refuge from the evil eye, from the evil eye of the jinn. So you see that a Muslim, a believer, look at from all these different angles. He has first of all the kuffar, right? They, you know, they, how they look at the, at the believers with envious jealousy, right? Because of their faith and their iman and their tawheed. And likewise the ahlul kitab. And likewise you have uh, the believer. He may be, has, has people looking at him with the eye of jealousy because he has wealth. And likewise he has other people looking at him. Uh, you know, you know uh, he has sorry the jinn looking at him as well uh, because of envious jealousy. So it shows that a man, a believer, is in extreme danger from all these different roots. You know, from from the angle of jealousy and and the evil eye, and so he needs to protect himself. Also worthy of mention here, since we are on this topic, is that the evil eye itself is from al qadr. It is from al qadr. It is something that Allah has decreed. And the evil eye is just, is just simply one of the ways and means by which certain effects are brought about. So illness is brought about through the means of the evil eye. Just like illness is brought about when you know maybe you, you eat something harmful, something toxic, something damaging, and you fall ill, then like, and, and that is a ways and means, likewise the evil eye is, is, is a ways and means. Likewise, it could be the way it could be that a person dies from cancer, maybe he dies by you know having a crash or an accident or whatever, then likewise the evil eye is from the ways and means through which Allah has decreed that certain things things take place. So the evil eye, Al Ain, is itself from from Al-Qadr. And uh, in fact, the, the messenger mentioned in a hadith, he said something very uh, uh, important about the, the evil eye. He said, Al-Aynu Haqq, that the evil eye is true. وَلَوْ كَانَ شَيْءٌ سَابِقُ الْقَدْرِ سَبَقَتْهُ الْعَيْنِ That the evil eye is true and real. And if there was anything, if there was anything that would precede Qadr, it would be the evil eye. What this means is, that if there was anything that would make something happen before it had been decreed, if there was anything, then it would be the evil eye. Why? Because the evil eye is such that it very rapidly and powerfully brings about whatever effect it is. That meaning this shows the, the effect of the evil eye. So it is so uh, you know, effective that, if, it, that the, if, if there was anything that would actually make something to occur before Allah had decreed it to occur, it would be the evil eye. So this is how the messenger has described the evil eye. So anyway, this is uh, the evil eye. And there are some uh, differences between the evil eye and jealousy. Because remember we said that jealousy and evil eye are connected. And there's an overlap between the two. Right? So, uh, uh, but it's not the case that everyone who is jealous necessarily has the evil eye. Because al-ain, basically the evil eye occurs in two ways. And this is where we know the distinction between what is al-ain and what is al-hasad, jealousy. The evil eye can be, for example, when you see something with the eye which amazes you and which you think to be amazing, 
Right? It could it could be anything. It could be the beauty of someone. It could be the wealth of someone. It could be the car of somebody. It could be the house of somebody. It could be the child of somebody. It could be anything that you know, the phone, anything. And you look at it, and it amazes you. And you say, "Wow, that that's amazing." Right? So that amazement, you you speak in amazement, and you do not say, "Masha Allah." And you do not say tabarak Allah, and you do not, you know, bring and make supplication for for blessings, right? You do not do any of that. So that, when when that occurs, then this is how the evil eye befalls. This is how the evil eye befalls, and this can happen from anybody, even a righteous person, even a pious person. It can happen from anybody, someone who has iman and faith. This type, the al ain, can happen from anybody. Right, so as a result, some affliction comes upon that thing or that person or whatever else it is. That's one. That's that's al ain, and al hasad, al hasad, which is the jealousy, is when someone sees something which amazes him with the eye, then he has in his heart and his soul the filth and those evil, lowly, despicable feelings of jealousy, and want you know, and and wanting something to end in somebody that he, you know that he's jealous of, and then that. Uh, filthy, that internal, whatever it is, it mixes and it comes and it comes out and it comes through the eye and it looks with the eye upon that thing or that person, and then this is another way that the evil eye now is is is, is uh, you know is executed, right? So, the, but this is al hasad. This is jealousy coming through the you know and, and affecting it through the through the evil eye. And the evil eye is the other one, as we said, when you are amazed. And you don't say Masha Allah, you don't ask for Allah's bar, you know, blessings upon that thing. Then this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the other way. So basically, Al Ain and Al Hasad have a connection to each other. They overlap to a certain degree, but there's a, a slight difference between between the two. So anyway, this is uh, Al Ain and Al Hasad, and now we move on to As Sara, and As Sara, as we Asar, as we said, is something which involves jinn. But it is not necessarily magic, not necessarily sihr. So, what is asara? The word asara it literally means to be paralyzed or to be taken and thrown on the ground. And this is what the word asara means. And what it means is, what it refers to is, it is uh, something by which a person's limbs, like the, his major limbs, like his arms and his legs and the things that he can actually, you know, move, uh, that these limbs are prevented. From being able to function properly, right? Basically, it's a type of paralysis and a type of, you know, uh, like a type of paralysis. And there are two causes for this. There are two causes. One, which is what we can, you know, say is like a, a natural physical cause, where as a result of maybe some toxins or whatever, some other uh, something that he's breathed, which is harmful, which goes to his brain, or maybe there the other. Uh, reasons that lead him to to have this paralysis or like epilepsy, basically. This is one type, and this is you know like a, like like uh, as we said, it is something who, whose cause is is of this type. And the second type, it can be from the jinn. The second type is that it has its origin in the jinn and the jinn, and this can be uh, from for a number of different reasons, which will which will inshallah come to explain in a short while. But basically, this type of paralysis where you have a numbness in the arm or numbness in the leg, or maybe you have a fit, or maybe you have you know whatever else, then all of this, it, 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 can, it can be from the jinn. And why they do it, we will come to look at in a very short while, inshallah ta'ala. But firstly, what is the proof that this type of possession by the jinn, which doesn't involve magic, that this exists? 
The proof for that is in, we'll look at a number of proofs. First of all, from the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions about those who are involved in usury or in interest, taking in, dealing with interest. Allah says, الَّذِينَ يَأْكُلُونَ الرِّبَا لَا يَكُومُونَ إِلَّا كَمَا يَكُومُ الَّذِي يَتَخَبَّطَهُ الشَّيْطَانُ مِنَ الْمَسِ That those who eat and devour riba, usury, interest, they will not stand, meaning on the day of judgment, except as the one who stands, who, who has been touched by the shaitan, the mas by the shaitan, just like he stumbles. And so this is, uh, the scholars have used this verse as a proof to show that this is an evidence for asar, meaning this, this possession by the, by, by the jinn and this touching by the devil, which affects a person and which harms him in his body, in his limbs, that this is true and this is real. And basically it means that these people will stand on the day of judgment just like a person who is touched and you know by, by, by the jinn. A second proof is the well-known hadith about the woman in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, والسلام, there was a black woman who used to, ha- used to suffer from this uh, sara', this, this possession. And so what the messenger, she came to the messenger and the messenger said, if you want, I will ask Allah to cure you. And if you want, I will ask, uh, you know, you can have patience and then you will be granted paradise. Right? So the woman said, rather I will have patience, and I will, I will seek paradise, but however, whenever I am possessed, or whenever this comes and afflicts me, and I fall on the floor, then my body becomes uncovered. So pray to Allah, that I do not become uncovered when, when I'm afflicted with this. So the messenger, he then supplicated to her for that, but she chose to have patience and to enter paradise rather than to be cured from this affliction. So that is a proof to show that there is, you know, that the jinn can enter a person. The third proof is that the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa said in a hadith reported by Bukhari, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَجْرِي مِنْ إِبْنِ آدَمْ مَجْرَ الدَّمْ That indeed, the shaitan, he flows in the son of Adam, just like the blood flows in, in, in him. Meaning that the jinn can enter a person and they flow within the body, just like a person's blood flows within, within his body. All of this is a proof for uh, uh, a sarah. And basically, uh, as we said, the reason why it can occur from a jinn is the following. There are three reasons. Three reasons. The first one is that a jinn has an infatuation has an infatuation or an obsession. So a male jinn has an obsession with a female, uh, with a female human being, a human. Or a female jinn has an obsession, an infatuation, meaning that it loves and has, has ishq towards uh, a man. And so therefore he enters into, enters into that, that person, enters into that person. And there are certain ways and conditions by which this jinn seeks he, I mean, there are certain conditions a person can be in that a jinn seeks in order to enter into that, into, into that person. Anyway, this is the first, uh, first reason. Second reason is that a, that a person, he has, he's done dhulm upon a jinn. So maybe he threw out some boiling water in some place, and maybe there was a jinn in his household, and so he killed some of those jinn, or he destroyed, destroyed their home. So out of revenge, the jinn decides now to enter into a person and to harm him, and so this is what we this is what we call asara. And the third reason is that for absolutely no reason at all, there isn't any reason. A jinn just comes along and decides to harm somebody. It decides to harm somebody. However, this can only really occur 
when he finds in the individual certain emotional states and certain emotional conditions. And those conditions are four in number. First of all, when he's extremely angry. When a person is extremely angry, his body is such that it becomes easy for the jinn to enter. Second condition is extreme fear. When a person is extremely fearful, again, the body is in such a condition that it becomes easy for the jinn to penetrate the body. The third condition is when a person is involved in fulfilling his lusts and desires, meaning extreme pleasure. Right? He's involved, you know, he's engrossed in the shahwat, in those things that bring about pleasure and so on and so forth. Right? So in that condition, the jinn finds easy to enter. And the fourth one is when a person is just heedless of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, far away from Allah's remembrance, far away from Allah's ibadah, far away from iman, and he's just heedless, and he's preoccupied in, in the dunya, and he has no you know, remembrance of Allah at all. And so the, the, the jinn finds easy to enter into such people. And really you find that most of this stuff, whether it's magic or sara, it always affects you know, these kind of people who are far away from the deen, far away from tawheed, far away, you know, weak in their iman, and so on and so forth. And so this type of asara, this type of touch by the jinn or this possession by the jinn which leads to paralysis and whatever else, then there are different types of it. The first one is what we call maskulli, which is the, the all-inclusive touch. And this is when, for example, the jinn, he enters and he touches the whole of the body, right? all parts of the body. And this is what we call when a person becomes completely paralyzed. All his limbs become numb, he can't move, he stumbles, he falls and so on and so forth, he can't speak, whatever. Uh, this, is, this is like what we call a complete effect upon the body. Then there is what we call the, the, partial, uh, the partial one, which is where maybe a limb will become paralyzed and, and it won't work anymore, or a leg or whatever. This is just the partial mass, the partial touch by the, by the jinn. Then we also have that which lasts always. It never ceases being present. And then we have that one which only lasts for a few minutes and then it disappears, or which maybe lasts for a short while, but eventually it disappears. This is what we call the, you know, the, 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 the partial Again, the partial type of type of touch. So the point here that we should understand is that this type of almas is not the same as magic, but it is something that can nevertheless it can affect uh, a person. And uh, there are ways that we can protect ourselves from this. So, inshallah, I will now mention some of the ways of protection from asara, asara, which is this, you know, being touched by by by, by the devil. And after this, we will move on to magic. And how to protect yourself from magic, both before it occurs and after it occurs. So anyway, how to protect yourself from asara? First of all, is to remember all of the adhkar, the sayings of the morning and the evening, the du'as that the messenger, peace be upon him, Ali used to say in the morning and the evening. And you will find them in the du'a books, the adhkar, sabah, wal masa. That's the first thing. Secondly, that whenever you jump from a high place, you're on a wall or you're on a higher place and you're going to jump down, always say, Bismillah. Say, Bismillah. Because you don't know what you could be landing upon. And often this is how people unknowingly, they cause harm to the, to the jinn and, and, and their offspring and to their homes. Thirdly, that whenever you uh, pour water anywhere, say, Bismillah first. Say, Bismillah first. Fourthly, that when you enter into a, a gloomy, dark type of room or a place or some gloomy, dark place because these are the places where the jinn tend to reside and which they like, then always mention the name of Allah, Bismillah. Uh, never ever do not harm a dog. 
a dog or a cat. It could be that the, do not deliberately go and harm, you know, kick a dog or harm a dog because that could be. Because as we know that the jinns can take on different forms. And the jinns can take the form of a dog, they can take the form of a snake, they can talk to different forms. So just be careful, don't harm, you know, you don't unwittingly harm something that, you know, could be, could be, uh, could have a jinn within it. Try not to sleep on your own. Right? Or try not to travel on your own. Don't travel on your own. Uh, don't urinate when you re- urinate. Don't urinate in a place which looks like to be like you know, like a, 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 a living place or like a habitation. You know, and, and try not to just be careful when where you where you urinate. If you have to urinate outside of your outside of your house. Uh, also, don't go to deserted places by yourself. Don't just wander off by yourself. You know, in, in weird times, in deserted places where there is nobody, uh, people tend to do that. And so you have to be careful of that, especially in the night as well. Uh, also, when you when you throw something heavy upon the earth, when you take something and you throw it, uh, say Bismillah, because you don't know where it's going to land, and you could harm, uh, you know, you could you could harm a jinn and his and his residents. When you enter the toilet, say Bismillah, or you say Awwadu Billahi Min Al Khubthi Wal Khabaith. And likewise, when you uh, if, if you have children, always make ruqya upon your children, do the athkar upon your children uh, with the muawwadatain. And the other verses in the Quran, what the messenger used to do to Al Hasan Al Hussein, used to put his hand upon their foreheads. خلق, I seek refuge for you both in Allah, in the in the perfect words of Allah, from everything, from every evil which He created. Uh, you, you you do this ruqya upon your children, and you teach your children likewise to always, you know, recite Ayatul Qursi. Or recite the quls, have a habit of reciting the Quran, and so on and so forth. Likewise, um, you when you have relations, when you have relations with your with your with, with your spouse, then there is a dua which you which you which you which you read. Bismillah, Allahumma jannibla shaitan wa jannabi shaitana mimma ma razaqtana. That O oh Allah, in the name of Allah, O oh Allah, make shaitan distant from us. And make shaitan, make us distant from shaitan, and make shaitan distant from, from what you bestow upon us, meaning of offspring, of children. And, uh, likewise, when you sleep, make the du'as, uh, that when, you know, when, when, when you're supposed to sleep. So all of these are from the ways and means that basically protect you from being affected by, uh, asara. Okay, this now leads us to magic. So now we come back to magic. So the reason why I covered all of this is because all of these are connected issues. And, you know, whether we're speaking about the evil eye, whether it is just the asara, which is a possession, or magic, all of them are connected. And so we need to be aware of all of these. And the danger isn't just magic itself. There's, there's something wider than magic. There is the evil eye. There is al-hasad, envy. There is asara. And so we need to be, you know, very careful from all of these different things. So as for uh, the treatment of magic, which is what we were supposed to finish off last lesson, we didn't have time. So the treatment of magic... Then, uh, first of all, I should mention uh, the first thing is that the uh, treatment of magic by magic is haram. It is haram. And this is one of the ways that people unfortunately fall into when they treat magic. And so the treatment of magic by magic is magic itself is haram. So to, to, so to resort to magic is, itself, is, is also haram. And the scholars do not allow the treatment of magic by magic. And this is because... The magician, as you already know, is already upon batil. He's already upon, he's, you know, he, he's uh, obeying the devils. He's winning the assistance of the devils. And so to use magic, to repel magic, is just falling even more into, in, in, into that type of batil. And so this is why some of the scholars, they used to say 
that no one removes magic except a magician. Meaning, that no one gets rid of magic with magic except a magician. Right? Because many people you see that they'll quickly be able to get rid of magic in an instant. But you know, overnight it'll just disappear. Well, that person's actually used magic because he's used a stronger form of magic to repel the, the, the magic. So what happens is, you go to this person and he will say, right, I will cure you. Take your shirt off, leave it with me. Right, so we'll ask for your shirt. Right, this is a sign that he's going to be doing magic. So we'll take your shirt and then he will do whatever he's doing. Really what he's doing is that he will then go, he will write a spell, he'll then invoke the, the jinn, a more powerful jinn, and he'll do even more acts of disbelief or disobedience or whatever else which is displeasing to Allah. And so the jinn will become even more happy with him. So they will then execute a more powerful form of magic. So then another jinn will be sent and dispatched off to that individual. This jinn will then kick out that first jinn. That jinn will then be kicked out. Right? He'll be, he'll be taken out. And so that magic will appear to have ended. That's what it, that's what it will appear to be. So that jinn will now that, that magic will appear to be have stopped to have stopped. He will no longer have that pain in his arm anymore because the jinn is now gone. Or will no ha, no longer have like the depression or whatever. He'll feel better. And then wait two or three weeks because the other jinn has now come. Then there'll be some other effect and some other symptom and some other problem. Right. So then maybe he'll have a pain in his leg or he'll have a pain in his back or maybe he'll have some other problem. So now he goes back to the magician again. And so now we see that this now becomes a, a play field for the magicians and they steal the wealth of the people in this manner. And so this, ten, this is what tends to happen when you treat magic with magic. And as I said, there are signs you can tell that someone is using magic to treat you, even if they clothe it and conceal it with, you know, the Quran and so on and so forth. And we mentioned those things in the last lesson. I won't repeat them again. Um, so this is uh, the uh, treating magic by magic is haram and also those people who use the jinn they claim to use the jinn or they claim to have the assistance of the jinn we see that the scholars I will read to you some of the verdicts of the scholars in this regard uh, first of all from Sheikh Abdul Aziz Rajahi he was asked the question he said what is the ruling on using jinn the righteous jinn in order to remove magic. What is the ruling? And the Shaykh said, first of all, it is, not, it is not desirable to use the jinn at all. Absolutely. And the reason is because we do not know the condition of the jinn. You know, the jinn, they come and we do, we, you know, they, 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 they speak and they basically, uh, you know, we don't have any evidence to show that this jinn is in fact what he says he is. He could be a munafiq. He could be a Rafid, he could be a Shia, could be a Rafid, because the jinn, amongst them are believers, disbelievers, amongst them there are Shia, amongst them there are Sufis, amongst them there are, you know, there, there are uh, uh, all sorts of Qadaris, Jahmis, all sorts of deviant sects amongst them, uh, just as the jinn themselves mentioned in Surah Al-Jinn. Uh, the, the jinn, when you read Surah Al-Jinn, they mentioned that we are of many different paths and persuasions. And so, a jinn comes along, and he says, I'm a Muslim, I'm righteous, I'll help you, whatever. But we have no evidence about, about whether he's speaking the truth or not. We can't, we can't see him. He could be a munafiq, he could be a, a mubtadi, an innovator, he could be a rafidi, shia, shia, could be whatever. And all he wants to do is to win the uh, confidence of this healer so that he can slowly misguide him and you know, uh, fool him and deceive him and over time lead him in, 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 into falsehood. And so anyone who opens himself up to the jinn and assistance with the jinn, he is putting himself in a great danger without even realizing. And the jinn are more smarter than any magician. They're more smarter than any magician. Uh, 
So uh, anyway, the Sheikh, he says, he, he goes on to explain that the jinn, we don't know their condition, we don't know what they're like, we don't know whether they're truthful, and we've got no evidence. And in fact, there's a really good answer here from uh, Sheikh Lalbani, rahimahullah. And so he was asked the same question. He said, look, basically seeking aid from the jinn, and is it possible, uh, you know, uh, uh, is it possible? So he said, listen to his answer. He said that this question is wrong. This whole question is wrong. The question should be uh, that, that first of all, dividing the jinn into righteous and unrighteous and a believer and a kafir. First of all, this is correct. Because in reality, there are righteous and unrighteous jinn and believing and disbelieving jinn. However, that knowledge is in the knowledge of the unseen and that is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, that is true. As it relates to us, we don't have that knowledge. Even though we acknowledge that yes, there are righteous jinn and there are evil jinn. But as it relates to us, then we do not have that knowledge. Right? We don't have that knowledge. And so in relation to us, this distinction between them is, is meaningless because we don't know. And the Shaykh gives a beautiful example. He says, uh, he says, let's say for example, some guy came along to you and he said, I'm a Muslim. You, you've never seen him before. You don't know who he is. He just come out of nowhere. You've never seen him before. You don't know him. And he says to you, I'm a righteous Muslim. I want to do business with you. Let's set up a, let's set up a business. Now you, the first thing you want to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't even know you. I don't know who you are, where you've come from, what you're about. You know, I, I, I need to find out who you are. I need to find out what you're about. I need to know your background. And so there's no way you are going to do business with that individual. Right? So the Sheikh says, look, this is, this is the normal habit of, 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 a, of a sane person. This is how he would react when someone comes. He doesn't know him. This is how he, how, how he would behave. And yet, when it comes to a jinn, you know, you hear voices from behind a wall or from a person. And, you know, he starts telling you, yes, I'm a righteous jinn. I'm going to help you. You know, I'm your friend, you're a righteous man, you're a righteous person, I'm a righteous jinn. You know, how, how foolish is it for a man to start believing that, yes, indeed, this jinn is telling the truth. You know, when the jinn are the most lying and deceitful of people. And so, so, and this is why the scholars of hadith, the scholars of hadith, they used to say that if a jinn narrates a hadith, we cannot accept that hadith because his integrity is not established. Unlike men, whose integrity and honesty and truthfulness we know, when they narrate that the messenger said such and such, then obviously we can evaluate them, we can check for their honesty and their integrity and their memory, and we can believe, and we, we, we can take it, and we can say, yes, this hadith is authentic. But as for a jinn, then his adala, his integrity and his trustworthiness cannot be established by any means at all. And so therefore the hadith of the jinn are rejected. And so you never see any of the scholars narrating a hadith from, you know, from, from, from a jinn. So for that reason, these people who claim that we use the jinn and we seek the jinn as, as a means because they are our friends and they help us and they aid us and they assist us. And this man is a deceived man. This man is deceived. He is deceived. Be not in, under any uh, uh, you know, doubt about that. And so... Uh, so this is the wrong way of going about treating magic. And again, in the last lesson, I mentioned to you many signs of someone who is actually involved in magic. So you should beware of that and you should avoid all of that. And this now moves us on to the issue of treating magic in the right way. And so the right way, first of all, is uh, there are basically there are two, two uh, situations. The first of which is treating magic before it occurs. And so with respect to that, we have a number of steps that a Muslim can take. 
And so from those steps, from those steps that a Muslim can take, As I said, the first period is before you actually get affected by the jinn. And so in this regard, uh, there are nine or ten different uh, steps that can be taken by a believer. And there we are. So from those steps... Uh, that the believer can take. Well, in fact, first of all, there's a separate issue that we should discuss, is that we find that those who are most likely to be affected by jinn and by magic and by all these types of things are those people who are far, far away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah says in the Quran, وَمَنْ يَعْشُ عَنْ ذِكْرِ الرَّحْمَانِ نُقَيِّدْ لَهُ الشَّيْطَانَ فَهُوَ لَهُ قَرِينَ That whoever lives a life away from the remembrance of Ar-Rahman, of Allah, then we will appoint for him a devil. And this devil then will become a companion to him. Right? So first of all, just being away from Allah, being away from Allah's dhikr, being away from Allah's tawheed, worshipping Allah upon tawheed, and you know, not remembering Allah, this is something that invites the shayateen upon you. That's the first thing. Second thing is that when, uh, when uh, Iblis made that promise, to, uh, when, he, when he said, قَالَ فَبِعِزَّتِكَ لَأُغْوِيَنَّهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ إِلَّا عِبَادَكَ مِنْهُمُ الْمُخْلَصِينَ When Allah said, when, Allah, when, when Iblis said to Allah that by your might and by your power, I will misguide them all. But he made an exception. He said, إِلَّا عِبَادَكَ مِنْهُمُ الْمُخْلَصِينَ Except for those servants who are, have ikhlas. And ikhlas, having sincerity, uh, what this ikhlas means here is refers to two things. The first thing is to wake, make your worship only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your bowing, your prostrating, your sacrifice, your fear, your hope, your love, your isti'ana, the seeking of aid, your istighatha, the seeking of rescue, your tawakkul. All these things are only directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And secondly, when you direct these acts of worship to Allah, you are sincere in those acts of worship, meaning that you are seeking Allah's reward. You are seeking Allah's pleasure, not the pleasure of men. You're not seeking some worldly benefit. You're not seeking some, you know, that your intentions are sincere and pure, and it is done for the sake of Allah. Right? These two things, when a believer is characterized in his ibadah by these two things, then these are the people whom shaitan has said he will not have any control or power over them, and he cannot misguide them. And likewise, Allah said in, an, in another verse, "Inna ibadi, indeed my servants, laysa laka alayhim sultan, illa man ittaba'aka min al-ghawin. So Allah said, indeed my servants, you don't have any authority over them. My servants, my ibad. And Allah's servants, the ibad, are those who give ubudiyya to Allah. Meaning that they give servitude and are enslaved only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not to others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you see that shaitan knows that tawheed 
is something over which he cannot gain ascendance from these, from these verses. So the people who are away from that, they are the ones who will be prone to being affected by magic and so on and so forth. So anyway, what can a person do to protect himself from the uh, effects of magic and being afflicted? Well, first of all, I should mention there are four things. Al-Iman, which is having faith in Allah and the pillars of Iman, Allah, His angels, His books, His messengers, the last day in Al-Qadr. And knowing Al-Iman in detail. I meaning knowing the belief in Allah. What is the belief in Allah? Belief that He is the Lord of all things. Belief in His names and attributes. Belief in His right to be worshipped alone. Right? Having that knowledge in a detailed sense. Because that knowledge enters the heart and it fills the heart. Right? And then it creates the emotions in the heart like love and fear and hope. So when the heart becomes filled with this, it becomes difficult for the jinn and the shayateen to enter a person's heart. So if you have an empty vessel, the jinn can enter. If you have a full vessel full of iman, then the jinn will not enter. Right? So the first thing is al-iman. Second thing is at-tawheed. Right? Pure monotheism, worshipping Allah alone. And to have knowledge of tawheed in its details. And to know shirk in its details. And to know the dividing line. And to avoid shirk. And to you know, be firm upon tawheed. Right? Well, you can see this from the Quran. The shaitan has no authority over the people of tawheed. Third thing, al-ikhlas. Sincerity in one's actions. That you do actions for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The proof of that again is the verse that we mentioned earlier on. Where Iblis made an exception for those who are mukhlasin. The fourth thing is at-taqwa. At-taqwa, which is to be, have piety, which is to worship, which is to obey Allah in the things which He commanded, and to keep away from those things which He prohibited, and to act upon that with one's, you know, in one's speech, in one's action. So these are four things. Uh, Al-Iman, Al-Tawheed, Al-Ikhlas, and At-Taqwa. These are things that a person should generally have, and be strong upon. That's the first thing. Second thing is nextly, At-Tawakkul. Having tawakkul upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَزْبُهُ That whoever places his trust upon Allah, then he will be sufficient for him. So tawakkul is one of the greatest forms of worship. That he resigns his affairs to Allah and relies in his heart upon Allah. The third thing is to be firm upon all of the supplications in the morning and the evening. If you find a good book on supplications and you see what the messenger used to recite in the morning and the evening, then you repeat that every day. This is a means of protection for you and it is like a fortress for you. And from the things you can read is surah is the three quls. قُلْ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ In the morning and in the evening. And this is a protection for you. Fourthly, to read Surah Al-Baqarah in the house. Because Surah Al-Baqarah as a whole, the messenger said that the house in which Surah Al-Baqarah is recited, then the shaitan cannot come close to it. Fifthly, that you maintain the du'as when you enter the toilet and when you leave the toilet. A'udhu billahi min al-khubthi wal Fifthly, that you recite Ayatul Kursi when you go to sleep. As the messenger said, that when you read Ayatul Kursi, then he is given a protection. He is given protection by way of the angels so that the shayateen cannot you know, come, come close to him. Likewise, uh, to say the following, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah lahu al-mulku wa lahu al-hamdu wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadeer 100 times in a day. 
Because the Messenger, he said that whoever recites this 100 times in a day, he will have the reward of freeing 10 slaves. The reward of freeing 10 slaves. And he will have a hundred rewards written for him, of good deeds. And he will have a hundred evil deeds erased for him. And it will be a protection for him from shaitan for that day. Right? So that is something from the sunnah which is authentic and will be protected up until he reaches the, the, the evening. And also to say the supplications when you enter a house and when you leave a house. Or when you enter a house and when you leave the house. Uh... Uh, to say Bismillah when you you know when you enter the house to call to Allah la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah when a person when he when he leaves when he leaves the house and likewise when he enters the house that he maintains these uh, supplications also that he is that he that he can make use of al ajwa the date known as al ajwa these are a particular type of date which are found you know not just in Medina but in, in many different places, but the dates which are in Medina, which are Al-Ajwa dates in Medina, they are the most superior. They are the, they are the best. And so the Messenger, Ali Sallallahu he said, whoever in the morning, he eats seven dates which are from the Ajwa, the Ajwa of Al-Medina, then he will, he will not be harmed by any magic, nor any poisonous sting. Nor any poisonous sting. That's, to have Ajwa dates is something that, can, that you can use as a preventative, as a, uh, preventative uh, measure and as for being affected by magic as for being affected by uh, magic you know once you are affected by magic then then we take the following steps we'll mention them quickly inshallah ta'ala as we come to a, a close so from those steps a person can take this is after you've been affected by magic then as we said before, we should understand that magic, when a person is afflicted by it, is just simply a trial, like many of the other trials in life. When a person, um, you know, maybe he loses some wealth, maybe he loses someone in the family, maybe he has an illness, maybe he has a calamity. These are just trials that Allah puts in the path of the believers. And likewise, to, when you become afflicted by magic, that is a type of trial, a type of oppression. And again, uh, it is from Allah's decree, from Allah's qadr. And so a believer should know and be equipped and understand the ways and means he has at his disposal, which he can use to, you know, to treat this uh, trial. So from those ways, first of all, if it is possible for you to find out where the magic is, what is the source of the magic, if it is possible for you to find out, you are encouraged to find out. Right? Because one of the ways to destroy magic is to find where the magic has been done, you know, whatever it's been written or whatever it's been buried, and to take it and to destroy it. Right? So this, 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 this is something recommended. If you can do that, then try to do that. As for when the jinn tells you, because sometimes often the jinn will tell you, when a person is making rookie and the jinn tells you, that, oh yes, the magic is in such and such, such, and such a place, then it is not permissible to believe everything they say. And if they say that the magic is in such and such a place, then you may want to make verification. There's nothing wrong with making verification. Right, to see that if, if it's the truth. Because sometimes the jinn, they do tell you where the magic has been done. Right? And, and sometimes they do speak the truth, even though they are great liars. Right? So in that case, you make, you make the thabbut, you make verification. Right? So first of all, you try to find the actual magic if you can, whether it's in the land or the sea or in your house or whatever, and to get it and to destroy it. And the way you destroy it is that if it's written, 
It's on a piece of paper. If it's written, you put it in some, you, 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 you read some ruqya upon some water. You take some water, pure water. It can be zamzam or whatever. Read upon it. Read Ayatul Kursi. Read the three quls. Read the, the, the verses of magic. Uh, the, the verse of uh, the, the, the Harut and Marut and the other verses of, of Musa alayhi salam and the Fir'aun, the magicians of Fir'aun. And do ruqya upon that water. Then you take that magic, that paper, whatever is written and put it in the water and basically erase it. Just erase it. And then after that, you just destroy it and you get rid of it in a place where, you know, it's not going to affect any, anybody. That's the first thing. If you can do that, alhamdulillah, this will take a major step in getting rid of the magic. If you can't do that, if you do not know the uh, place of the... Of, now, obviously, I want to make a distinction here now. Because there is one thing when you do rukya upon a person and the jinn speaks. And through that, the jinn just says that the magic is in such and such a place. This is one thing, Right? But it is another thing for somebody else now to just invoke the jinn separately. To invoke the jinn separately, to, to, for them to tell him where is the magic. This now is the use of the jinn and seeking assistance of the jinn and that is not permissible. That is not permissible, right? So the point that we're making is that if in the case of reading the rukya, a jinn tells you the magic is in such a place, then make tathabbut, verify it. But as for now, someone comes to you and says, oh, We've got magic done. Can you find, you know, can you tell us? And this person goes away and says, yes, I'll go and I'll find it from my jinn. Uh, this, this is not lawful. This is not permissible. Because this type of interaction with the jinn is, 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 is not permissible. Anyway, so that's the first thing. If this is not possible, if this is not possible for you to do, and in most cases it's not possible, then the second thing is, then the most effective method is to use the Quran and to use the Ruqya and to use the uh, Dua and all of the various other things that we're going to inshallah mention, mention now. And, uh, uh, you know, th- this is the, 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 the tools and the weapons that a believer has been given in order to treat the, the magic. So, from those things that a person can do is, first of all, to abandon all of the sins and to make tawbah. Uh, to make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his sins, for his disobedience, for his negligence, for him falling short. And to make sincere tawbah, to make istighfar. And to ask Allah to forgive him and use those times like in the last third of the night to make tawbah to Allah and to ask for forgiveness and to be and, and to fulfill the conditions of repentance. Right? The conditions of repentance are three or four. First of all, you must immediately seize that evil deed. Secondly, you must resolve. You, sorry, secondly, you must feel remorseful and sorry for having fallen into it. And thirdly, you must have a firm resolve not to fall into it again. And fourthly, if it involved the right of somebody else, meaning that the sin you did involved harming somebody else in his wealth and his honor and his life, that you return that right that you took from him. Right? So this is the conditions of repentance. So you repent from all the deeds that you're falling into. This is the first thing that you can do. Right? Because we believe in general that every single calamity that befalls you, it is from your own, what your own hands have have uh, you know have earned this is a general rule uh, that the scholars explain from the verses in the Quran that all calamities that come to mankind are from what their own hands earn of evil and this includes tribulations calamities harms illnesses diseases death and likewise magic is from one of those things so tawbah is the first thing after this uh, after this there are other things that can be used other other ways and means that can be used and from them uh, from them is honey, al-asal, honey in the Quran. We see that Allah subhanahu wa taala He has mentioned uh, uh, in the Quran. We see 
the, the verse in Surah An-Nahl, Allah mentions a verse about the bees, how Allah has inspired the bees. He mentions about this uh, uh, drink, which is of different colors, and he says, فِيهِ شِفَاءٌ لِلنَّاسِ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَةٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَقَّرُونَ That this, this uh, liquid of different colors, within it is a cure and a healing for the people. And indeed, in this are signs for a people who reflect. And likewise, the Messenger said, "Alikum bishifain, al-asal wal-Quran." Upon you are the two healings, the two cues, honey and the Quran. And likewise, the Messenger said in another hadith, "Ashifa of ithalathin," that healing is in three things: a drink of honey, and likewise, uh, a hijama. Which is the, the hijama, which is the bloodletting, the, the, the letting, taking the blood out, out of the body. And thirdly, cauterization with the fire. So in other words, he's mentioned honey and hijama in, in, these, in, in, in this hadith. And from the best of the honey that one can have is what we call the sidr honey. A sidr. A sidr. This is a, a tree which gives like red berries, red oranges type of bellies. It has a certain like green type of leaf. It is an evergreen tree and it, gr- it grows in hot climates. And so there's a honey that produced that is produced from that. You find it in Yemen, in fact, Yemeni sidr honey is apparently the is, is, is the best, most effective. But the leaves as well, it's also known as the lot tree. The lot tree. And these leaves you can use them and some of the scholars like Sheikh Ibn Baz, they mention that you can take some of the of the leaves. Inshallah we will come in fact that, that is mentioned a bit later on. I'll come on to that in a, in a, in a short while, inshallah. So use the use of honey is um, uh, again one of the ways that you can actually treat um, the effects of, of magic. The second is the black seed, al-habbat al-sawda. And this black seed is something that, that, that is mentioned in the statements of the Prophet ﷺ. He said that upon you is this black seed, alaykum bihadihi al-habbat al-sawda, fa'inna fiha shifa' min kulli da'in illa sam. That upon you is this black seed, for within it is a cure for every disease, for every disease, with the exception of death. With the exception of death. And so the scholars, we see that the scholars have recommended the use of this black seed and to uh, take its oil and to do ruqya upon its oil, upon the black seed oil, and then to rub it upon where the pain is or upon the rest of the body. And this is one of the ways that we find being done amongst the, uh, you know, with, 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 with the scholars. Also from it is olive, olive oil, the oil, the oil of the olive. And so we see in the Quran, Allah has described the olive tree, shajaratun mubarakatun zaytuna. The blessed tree, the, the blessed olive tree. And Allah swore by what tini was zaytun, by the fig and the olive. He swore by that, by the fig and the olive. And uh, Allah, so uh, we see this also uh, mentioned by the Messenger, so, so recommending the use of oil that eat or take the, 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 the oil of the olive and you know, use it in, in your food, for indeed it is from a blessed tree. And so we see again from what the scholars do is that they use the olive oil as part of the ruqya, and they, they read over it, the, the ruqya from the Qur'an, and then they uh, you know, use it on the place of magic or on the body. And so this is one of the ways of, of doing ruqya. So that is another thing that a person can use himself to treat, to, treat, to treat himself. Also, fourthly, the water of zamzam, ma'u zamzam. Because the Messenger said that the, the water of zamzam is khayru ma'in ala wajhil ard. That it is the best water on the face of the earth is, is, is the water of Zamzam. That within it there is food, nourishment. And within it there is a healing for disease. And this hadith is, is authentic. And 
So also in another hadith the messenger said that the water of Zamzam is for whatever it is drunk for. This means that when you drink the water of Zamzam and you have you bring a certain intention and a certain motive you know behind it so you say that I you know you drink Zamzam and in your mind you want to increase in your iman and you want to increase in your ibadah and you know whatever it is you you wish in your desire then the water of Zamzam, Zamzam is for that you know meaning that is it is it is whatever it is drunk for so this means that you can use the water of Zamzam as part of the treatment for for magic so if you drink water of Zamzam with your intention being for the removal of that magic and the weakening of that magic and the destruction of that magic then the water of Zamzam is, is something that will that will help and aid in the removal of that of that you know of the, of that magic also from uh, also from the ways and means is the use of as we said the sidr the leaves of the sidr the low tree right and so what, the, 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 the sheikh ibn baz rahimahullah he's mentioned a particular type of ruqya which involves these leaves and so what you do i'll mention it very briefly he says basically uh, this is found from experience to be very effective from experience and so what the sheikh mentioned rahimahullah he said that uh, he takes seven leaves from the sidr tree, from the low tree, you take these seven leaves, you crush those leaves, and then you put them in, it has to be like a large container. And then you take a large amount of water, it has to be something like 20 liters of water. And then you put those, that water into you know, the crushed leaves, the crushed leaves. And then, with that, then upon that water, you recite the following uh, ruqya. You recite the following ruqya. First of all, أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السورة الفاتحة seven times seven times then أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم followed by آيتُ الكرسي seven times آيتُ الكرسي seven times then you read uh, the last three verses of سورة البقرة the last three verses of سورة البقرة لله ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وَإِن تُبْدُوا مَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ أَوْ تُخْفُوهُ يُحَاسِبْكُمْ بِهَا اللَّهِ To the end of the, the, end of Surah Al-Baqarah. So you recite that, you recite that once. And then you recite, then basically you recite, there are, there are certain passages in the Qur'an that relate to the magic done by the magicians of Fir'aun. By the magicians of Fir'aun. And there are three passages in the Qur'an. Right? You recite those three passages. Now if you want to know where these verses are, I'll give you a reference. In fact, if you go to... In fact, there are two PDF articles which were placed on the web today, early this afternoon. The web address is dajjal.com D-A-J-J-A-L.com forward slash liar L-A-L-I-A-R forward slash question mark G... Z-I-N-C If you type that into your internet browser at home You will find an article And within there you will be able to download two PDF documents In the first PDF document You will find 47 passages from the Quran 47 passages from the Quran All from the Quran Like as in you will be able to read it as if it's the Quran Which are highly effective And which are used by the, by the scholars To treat magic in general 47 verses Right? And then the second file you can download contains those parts in the Quran that relate specifically specifically to the magic of the magicians. Right? So it mentions the, 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 the verse of Harut and Marut. 
It mentions the, the passages in the Quran that speak about how Musa Islam he overcame the magic of the magicians of the Fir'aun. Because those passages are very effective in combating magic. Very effective in combating magic. So anyway, so, so coming back to where we were, we said, remember, that the next thing you read upon these Sidr leaves in the water is those passages in the Quran which speak of Musa al-Islam defeating the magic of the magicians. Alright, and there are three passages. They are in, if you remember, Surah Al-A'raf and Surah Yunus and uh, one of the other surahs, uh, I, I don't recall the exact reference, but basically you will find it in that PDF article. You will find the, the references in that PDF article. Surah Shu'ara, I believe, I believe Surah 26, 26, verse 79 onwards. Um, so you read those three passages, then you read uh, Surah Ikhlas, you read that seven times. Then you read Surah Al-Falaq, seven times. Then you read Surah Al-Nas, the last Surah in the Quran, seven times. Then you read Surah Al-Kafirun, and you read that seven times. Then you read the verse in Surah Ali Imran, and you read this seven times. So anyway, there are, there are a number of other things that you read. There's actually uh, quite a bit more. Uh, whoever wants this information, you can come to me afterwards or I can point to you where, where it is. But basically, what you're doing is that you're reading this ruqya, which involves all of these verses from the Qur'an upon this water. Then what you do is you can drink that water and you can bathe yourself in that water. You can bathe yourself in that water. And this, from experience, has been proven to be very effective in combating the effects of magic. And one thing I should point out here as well is that just like humans, like for example, there are certain things which are harmful to us. Like for example, if you were to smell ammonia, it would, you'd have to get out very quickly because it's going to make you go unconscious. Or if you were to smell some thick black smoke, it's going to really harm you unless you, 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 unless you go away. So there are certain things which as humans we are harmed by. Likewise, the jinns themselves, there are many things by which they are harmed by. And so often those type, types of things are used in the ruqya as a result of making it very hard and difficult upon, upon, upon the jinn. So from those things are things like you know the, the water of Zamzam and reciting of the Qur'an. And likewise, some of these things like the, the, the sidr, the leaf of the, the sidr tree. And so this is how... You know, this is able to combat the jinn and make the jinn to, you know, to, leave, to leave your body. So anyway, this is the uh, fifth thing that was mentioned about uh, the as-sidr, the leaves of the sidr. And the sixth thing is mentioned here is as-sina. As-sina is a type of seed. It's sim similar to, you know, like a cumin seed or a fennel seed. It's a, one of those type of seeds. And the messenger, وسلم, he said in a hadith, that if there was anything in which there was, if there was anything in which there was a cure for death, it would have been a sinner. Right? So this seed is also something in which we find in the sunnah that it has been given, uh, you know, it is described as having uh, healing uh, properties. And so what you do with this seed is that you bring the seed to a boil, you bring it to a boil, and then from the the, the, the water will turn like a yellowy color, and from this you boil it in like a liter of water, and then after that you can basically. <clears throat> drink it. You can also mix it with honey, 
and you can you know drink it as well and so this is another one of the ways and means that you can use the seventh thing that you can use is al hijama al hijama is what we call cupping the bloodletting where you use those cups and you withdraw the blood and so the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said uh, in a, he actually mentioned in a hadith uh, that whoever whoever had hijama done upon him on the 17th night or on the 19th night or the 21st night of the month meaning the islamic month then it will be a cure for him from every disease right so al hijama is something that is again uh, as has been uh, is from the prophetic medicine and it's from the powerful ways and means of uh, uh, removing the effects of just illness in general and likewise magic in in particular as well and so uh, again, with hijama, with bloodletting, there are certain days in which it is disliked, like you know Wednesdays and Saturdays, and there are certain days in which, if you can do it, it is the best day to do it, like the 17th, 19th, and the 21st of the of the month. And so, this is the seventh thing that you can use. And finally, the eighth thing that you can use is a dua, which is supplication. Of course, all of this is on top of the fact that you can use the Quran as a rukya. Right, these are all measures on top of the Quran, which is which we use as a So, ad-du'a is from the greatest of the signs, from the greatest of the ways, and the du'a, which is made to Allah subhanahu wa taala. You know, uh, you seek those times and, and 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 moments in which the du'a is answered, like the last third of the night, and likewise, for example, uh, on on the day of Friday, the hour before Maghrib, after Asr, just before Maghrib, in that time. When you know Allah responds to the du'a, likewise between between the adhan and the iqama, and likewise between the time that the, when the imam is doing the juma khutbah and he sits down for a short pause and he stands up again in that time, there are many times in which du'a is you know acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa taala, and especially when you are someone who is madloom, you are oppressed by having magic done upon you, then as 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 we find in the sunnah that the du'a of the oppressed and of the oppressed person is never returned. Meaning that the one who is oppressed, who is madloom, and he makes dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah, resp- Allah responds to him. So dua is from the most powerful of means and methods. It is done when you call upon Allah with yaqeen and with conviction and with iman. Okay. However, many people, they say, yeah, I made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and nothing happened, I read the Quran, and nothing happened, whatever. You see many people saying this. And the thing is that dua is answered, right, as long as, the certain barriers are absent. Because there are certain barriers which prevent a person's dua from being answered. And from those barriers are that a person is eating from the haram. By eating from the haram, you're eating from the haram. Or you are taking bribe, bribes. Or you are consuming riba, you're involved in riba, usury. All of these things are what present, you know, prevent a person from being answered. And likewise, a person is drinking from the haram. He's drinking which is haram. Drinking khumur, drinking intoxicants. Drinking wine, drinking alcohol, taking drugs, taking in, you know uh, tablets and pills and whatever else. Uh, this, pre- this also prevents a person from his dua being answered. Wearing that which is haram, wearing that which is haram, having haram clothes, you know, like like a man wearing silk and a man wearing gold, right? And a woman, you know, uh, not wearing properly in the way that she should be wearing as as as, as a Muslimah. And all again, all of this is from from the you know the. Uh, uh, things which prevent a person's dua from being answered. Likewise, being nourished, being nourished by that which is haram, meaning that when you uh, earn for yourself and your family that nourishment that you are receiving, again, it is from, 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 from the haram. And all of these four things are mentioned in that hadith, that well-known hadith, 
where a man, the messenger said, a man comes, he's on a journey, his hair is disheveled, disheveled, he raises his hands up to the sky, and he calls upon his Lord, and he says, Oh Allah, oh Allah, and you know, uh, my Lord, my Lord, and the messenger said, however, his food is haram, his drink is haram, his clothing is haram, his nourishment is haram, how then will he be answered? Right, so dua, when we speak of dua, then your dua must be free from any barriers that stop it from being answered. And likewise, the fifth part of it is that a person must not have ta'ajjal. He must not be hasty, meaning that I called upon Allah, He never responded to me. I spent the whole night yesterday from, you know, from uh, 12 till Fajr, making dua and what, nothing's happened. This is ta'ajjal. This is ta'ajjal. You know, we see sometimes the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to suffer problems for a year, for, for decades, for tens of years. Look at the story of uh, Yaqub alayhi salam with his, you know, with, with his children. Look at the story of Ayyub and his illness. Right? And so that, that's the type of patience. And people nowadays, they want the answer in the morning. They want the fix in the morning. They want the cure in the morning. They want it next week. You know? And so this ta'ajjal, be hasty, this is something that itself prevents your dua from being answered. Right? So you have to have sabr. You have to have sabr. And so anyway, so this is from the greatest of the, of the ways and means by which uh, magic is repelled. So you see, all of these things are from the sunnah. This is what the messenger has taught us. This is what each and every individual, he should be self-reliant, independent, take it upon himself, stand upon his own two feet, increase himself in, in, in his iman, in tawheed, and use all these ways and means. And by Allah's permission, as Allah says, That indeed, the plot of shaitan is weak. It's weak. And when a person gathers all of these things together, and brings all these things together, combines all of these things together, he will find that the magic, you know, inshallah ta'ala, the magic will be cured by Allah's permission. But we see that most people, unfortunately, we see a mindset that first of all, generally people are far away from the religion. Their iman is weak. They don't understand tawheed and what is shirk. They don't adhere to the sunnah. They rely upon other people. You know, as soon as the problem comes, ring up so-and-so, he'll sort it out for us. This is like, like relying upon other people and not really relying upon their own iman in Allah. And this weakness is something that is why these problems are so widespread. Because people are not prepared to, you know, stand on their own two feet and use the ways and means. And, you know, to, to, to protect themselves and to ward off this evil from themselves. So, with that, uh, we come to an end. We come to a close of this session. And uh, inshallah ta'ala hope that this has been of some benefit to us and a reminder to us. And we should be aware, as I said on, in closing, that we be aware of those people who are the liars and the fraudsters and the swindlers and the cheats. Those maybe who are in it for the money. And maybe those people who may be not in it for the money, but nevertheless they still fall into that which is incorrect. When it comes to treating people, when it comes to doing ruqya, when it comes to being involved with the jinn, all of these things should be avoided. And a Muslim should take it upon himself to inform himself about his deen, about his Lord, about Iman in a detailed sense, about Tawheed in a detailed sense, about what is obligatory upon him, about these ways and means that he can use, the adhkar, the verses in the Quran, and so on and so forth. And once a person, you know, once a person stands up on his own two feet in this manner, then the signal will be given to those jinn or to the you know to, to those who are doing the magic that it's going to become very difficult and hard for the magic to start affecting this person from now on. Right? This is how it re- really ought to be working. And so with that, inshallah ta'ala, we come, we come to a close. If there are any questions on anything that's been said, or any corrections, if anybody has, um, then uh, inshallah we have a short time before we...
leave before we have to break. I think we have to leave the building at quarter to nine, I believe, again. Yeah, so, okay, we, we've got a short time again. Um, so we'll try to go through these questions as quickly as possible, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, but as I said, uh, for, if, if, I recommend that you go to that address I gave to you earlier on. You will find two files. One is 18 pages long, one is three pages long. And you'll find all the verses in one place together, which you can take, which you can read. You can print it off and have it with you. You can read it on a daily basis. And inshallah, this is something that you should, you should do. So it's all, again, for the, for the listeners, I'll mention it again. Go to www.dajjal, which is spelled D-A-J-A-L.com forward slash liar, which is L-I-A-R forward slash again, then a question mark, and then G-Z-I-N-C. And there you will find two PDF files, one which has 47 passages from the Qur'an, one which has about five or six, and those two you should try to memorize. Every, I recommend that you try to memorize from them what you already know, uh, what you don't know, sorry. And some of them you'll already know, like Ayatul Kursi and Surah Al-Fatiha and things like that, but the rest you should try to memorize. So that will help you, inshallah ta'ala, uh, as, as, as in general. And so we have uh, some questions, inshallah ta'ala. Again, we are very short on time, so we have to try to get... Uh, through them as very quickly as possible. So again, I apologize. Uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, we, we would like to have spent more time on the questions, but because there was so much material, uh, I had to rush through it really, then uh, we're going to have to really do a, a quick fire on some of these questions. So, Okay, very quickly a question, just generally upon witches on brooms and Halloween and origins of Halloween and, you know, uh, there is nothing, some, you know, there's nothing ascribed to the Prophet ﷺ regarding witches who roam around on brooms. I don't know where this has come from. Uh, there's, there's, as, there's no such statement as far as we know that is ascribed to the Prophet ﷺ. As for Halloween, then it is a, a ritual and a, a festivity of the pagans. And so we have nothing to do with the pagans and their festivities. And all of these things we keep away from. We have no connection to them. We don't, we do not involve, we're not involved in them. We don't partake in them. If they knock on your door, we don't, give them, we don't open the door. We don't give them anything. We have nothing to do with, this, any, with any of these types of uh, festivities. And all of these festivities in general that you find the non-Muslims which are involved in, you find that always somewhere along the line that they have a pagan origin. Whether that is birthdays, whether that is Halloween, whether that is Valentine's Day, whatever you want, 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 want to, you know, whatever it is, we only have two celebrations as Muslims. We have Eid al-Fitr, we have Eid al-Adha. And then we have the Friday, which is a day of Eid, every week. That's all we know as Muslims. Anything besides that, then we, we have, there's nothing of the sort at all. As for the, the Eid Bilad al-Nabi, as they claim, this again is something that was invented in the 6th or 6th century after the Prophet ﷺ. The companions never knew it, Abu Bakr never knew it, Umar never knew it, uh, Uthman never knew it, Ali never knew it, none of the companions knew it, neither the Muhajireen, nor the Ansar, nor the majority of the Sahaba, nor the Tabi'een, or the Tabi Tabi'een, nor the Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, Imam Ahmed, none of them knew it at all. It was invented by the Shia, the Rafidi Shia, in the 6th or 7th century, and it's just a mere imitation of the non-Muslims, and it is just a means to keep the people away from their religion, and to believe that by, you know, respecting and the Prophet in this way, one year, once in a year, 
that this is somehow going to bring them bring them salvation. Right, this is this is not this is not the this is not the way of the Muslims. The Muslims they know that to please Allah it is to follow the Messenger وسلم, in belief and in deed. Right, this is how we this is how we uh, earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So anyway, all of these celebrations they have nothing to do with Islam. We only know two celebrations, the two Eids, and the other one which is the Yomul Jumaa, which is the Eid every week. Right, this is all that we know as Muslims. Just a general question on Rukia. Can you perform Rukia upon a person who has, done, who has had black magic done upon them? Of course you can. You can read, uh, read, read Rukia upon a person as a good deed that you are doing to that person. And in general, the Messenger وسلم, in a hadith, what the, the scholars explain, that for you to ask somebody to do Rukia upon you is something that is discouraged because it is a sign of the imperfection in a person's tawheed. So generally speaking, you should try not to ask someone to make ruqya for you. However, if someone does ruqya upon you from his own choice, then this hamla is a good deed. It is a, a good deed. You are helping an oppressed person. You are aiding him. So to, for you to voluntarily do ruqya upon somebody else without you even being asked, then yes, alhamdulillah, this is a praiseworthy deed. This is a good deed. So yes, you can do ruqya upon a person who has, done, who has had magic done upon them without them even asking you. And uh, secondly, can any person do the ruqya? Well, alhamdulillah, every person should be able to, you know, who, if they can recite the Qur'an, first of all, they should be doing ruqya, as in upon themselves, as we see in the sunnah, reading Ayatul Kursi when you go to sleep, this is ruqya. Reading the three kuls, this is ruqya. So, alhamdulillah, a believer, you know, who, who has iman, and, you know, there's no harm in them doing ruqya upon themselves as a habit, as, as you know, as, as part of his ibadah and so on and so forth. And then they can do it upon somebody else. But as for when it is involves like, you know, case of magic and the jinn, then really someone who is of strong faith, of strong iman, is firm in his knowledge, is grounded in tawheed and the sunnah, then that kind of person, and he only uses the correct ways and correct means, then that is the person that should be doing rukia upon people who are afflicted with cases of magic that need to be looked at, you know, seriously and need to be, need, need to be treated. But in general, you can do ruqya upon yourself, you can do ruqya upon your children, you can do ruqya upon your husband, upon your wife, upon your parents, whatever. And a person should be in a habit of do, doing this anyway. Because it is from the preventative, preventative uh, measures. Is there anything else apart from reading to protect ourselves? Yes, all of that was covered in the lesson. Okay, another question about someone having had magic done upon them whilst they were abroad, and they found the magic, they disposed of the magic in the correct way, but they fear that because some of their past, like hairs and nails and things like that, might still be present, that it, it, you know they fear that the magic might still be done, and so uh, you know, does this magic have to be found, or can ruqya and tahsin and protection, you know, from Allah, you know, with Allah, be sufficient? Obviously, if you can't find the source of the magic, then you rely upon uh, those ways and means that we covered. And so those ways and means, if you use them, you, you combine them, all of them together, to put as much uh, uh, you know, uh, opposition against that magic, then inshallah ta'ala, be, be, with Allah's permission, then the magic will be treated. So you stick to those ways and means, yes, in the absence of knowing exactly where uh, the magic is. How 
How do you know if someone has, has something has been done to you? As many people after hearing stories get paranoid. Is there, um, you know, is there a genuine person that you know, you could, you know, that someone could go to to get a definitive answer? Um, the way that you normally tell if something has been actually been done upon you is that you have ruqya done upon you. The Quran is recited upon you, and someone who is generally skilled and 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 and, and, and you know knows and is firm in his belief and iman and has knowledge of Tawheed and the Sunnah and he sees certain signs from you, there are certain signs that are an indication, can be a combined indication that magic has been done upon you. Uh, and from those signs sometimes it can be that maybe your eyes start rolling, or maybe your hands start twitching, maybe you feel a numbness, numbness in one of your limbs and you can't move them. And you know, uh, there are many little, you start feeling uh, a pain in your head like pressing downward. There are many signs that basically uh, are a sign that this is not like a normal thing that you're suffering from. Maybe it's actually as a result of magic. And so, uh, but at the same time, yes, many people, they do get paranoid. And uh, sometimes you have to try and distinguish between something which might be an effect of magic and something which also at the same time is your mind you know, is your, your your emotion and your mind being involved as well? Because even those people who are affected with magic, once it comes to their knowledge that they are affected with magic, then the mind, once it becomes aware that magic has been done upon them, that can also start being affected now. And so many of the things that they experience can actually just be an emotional, psychological reaction, like suddenly feeling anxious or this, whatever. It, so sometimes you find like a confusion between the two things. So yes, the, to, to answer your question, sometimes uh, many of the things that you perceive to be from magic might not actually be from magic. Uh, it might actually be from magic. It might be something else. Might you know? Might be just explainable. Can you take black seed oil when a woman is pregnant? From what I'm informed of, from what I am told, that it is not recommended for a woman to have too much black seed oil. To have too much black seed oil whilst uh, she is pregnant. As for using it in moderation, in small amounts, then uh, that inshallah ta'ala would not be uh, harmful, but taking it excessively from what I'm aware of and from what I've, I've been told, and from what I am aware of, that this, this can, be, can be harmful. A friend of mine and her husband were told to wear a vest for 24 hours, then take it to the man, and he gave them a ta'weez to put in their pillowcase. Yes, is this magic? Yes, it is magic. Yes, it is magic. Anyone who asks you to wear something, like a shirt or a sleeve, or who asks you for one of your pieces of clothing, or anything of that nature, then straight away you know that this, this guy is involved in, this, this is magic, because he's seeking assistance from the devils. Because the devils, when you take them, the clothing that someone's been wearing, from the sweat, the devils can identify an individual, from, from the sweat of the, of, this is how they identify. This is how you can do magic, this is how people do magic, by taking the clothing of somebody. Right, so when people ask you wear something and give it back to me, right, what they what they really want is they want the, the sweat from your body. Then they will implement a certain type of magic as a result of will, or a result of which you will appear to be cured. But all it is is just another form of magic that makes you think that you are cured. In reality, you are not. Um, watching magicians on TV and so on and so forth. Um, Watching these people is, the scholars say that it is not permissible because they are swindlers, liars, cheats, fraudsters, uh, charlatans. And so a Muslim shouldn't be involved by seeking entertainment from these types of people. He's got better things to do. And so, you, you know, we do not allow our children to watch them. We don't watch them. 
And ideally speaking, you shouldn't really have a TV in your house. Because by having a TV in your house, basically you're just saying to the shaitan, open field in my house, go and do what you want, do to my family whatever you want, open field. So you should not have a TV in your house anyway, inshallah ta'ala. So I advise you to get rid of the TV, and so you won't need to watch the magicians or anyone else for that matter on the TV, you know, which is just really uh, uh, the, the quickest and easiest route to corrupting yourself and your family and your morals and your manners and your deen. And so we advise you to get rid of that TV. Um, okay, I think really we are getting pushed for time. Uh, we'll finish off with... Um, we've got some food. We have 15 minutes to finish, so we have to really stop right now. So inshallah, if you could assist. Before you stand up, anybody, just a quick announcement. We have the lesson uh, every, every week here. We go through a book on creed, an explanation from the scholars. And so this is every Sunday at around 6 o'clock after Asr, 6, 6.30. So that's like a regular lesson we have, inshallah ta'ala. Um, and also there are some books for sale now. If the sisters want to quickly come and look at some books right now, for about 5-10 minutes, they can come through the screen. Uh, it is blocked for them, inshallah, blocked off for them, inshallah ta'ala, just for 5 minutes. And then after that, uh, there is some food. And uh, if the brothers could please try to just assist in putting the chairs away and you know putting, because we have to be out of this place in literally 15 minutes. So with that, uh, I'd like to thank everybody for attending. We hope that this has been of benefit. And subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu wa la ilaha illa ant wa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.